So it yeah, it's it's been a week. I'm looking forward to this this particular podcast. Mostly to the drinking. Um, well, you know, I would say yes on most occasions, but I'm just really fond of this piece. Yeah. So, I mean, let's just start. Why not? So, welcome to welcome to Over Drinks. We have with us as always is Andrew Martin Smith. Hello. And joining us as well is Andrew Rickenmeyer. Hello. How are you? Good. How are you? Doing okay. It's been a while since we did an Over Drinks. I know. So. Uh, let's let's go around. What are we drinking tonight? Mine's vodka soda with cardamom bitters. Ooh, Ooh. they're yummy. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, I see something disgusting over there. I figured, yeah, yeah. The no no surprises over here. Um, <laughs> and to be quite fair, I'm literally coming from Rob Deemer's birthday celebration, so. <laughs> I've been having wine most of the night, and now I've switched to uh, Mike's Hard Black Cherry Lemonade, so Whoa. <laughs> I'll let you know how that goes. Oh, God. I, I could not drink that. I'd go into, like, some sort of diabetic coma. Not that I'm diabetic, I, I, but I would. <laughs> I don't think that's going to be a good mix for you, Andrew, but I, I, hadn't, uh, I hadn't had whiskey in a while. Um, so I have, uh, four roses, small batch mm. and, uh, yeah, I just, I just been kind of off, off the bourbon for a long time. <laughs> and, uh, I haven't really, other than our over drinks, I really haven't been drinking all that much. Um, so I figured I'd go back to some of the hard stuff. We're, we're happy to provide you with that opportunity. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we're bad influences, Andrew. <laughs> That's, I know. Totally. <laughs> totally. So, uh, the piece that we're going to be talking about tonight, today, whenever you're listening to this, is Ursula Mamlock and her piece, From My Garden, for either solo violin or solo viola. Do either of you know if uh, which which came first? I didn't know there was a viola version, so See, for I'm me, gonna... it's the violin all the way. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm with Andrea on this one. You just said that, and I'm like, oh, holy crap! There's another version I should have been listening to. <laughs> well, I'm so glad that I'm not the only one. <laughs> oh, oh, good. It's the same. It's the same piece, just transposed down a fifth. That's it. So yeah, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you which version came came first, but we are we are looking at the violin version, I would think, right? <laughs> Definitely yeah. the violin version. Great, great. <laughs> I think I need to drink some more. <laughs> all all looks so, the same to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you might so, think it's water, but it's not. <laughs> this this piece was my choice. And uh, as soon as I proposed it to Andrew, he was like, oh, my God, I love that piece, too. And for me, it was like, wait, how the hell do you know about this piece? Like, it's just for to me, it seemed like just kind of a, you know, a little hidden, a hidden gem of, of hers that I mean, I haven't listened to a ton of her music, but her name was always floating around on a listening list that I had way back uh, from my master's degree. And just the name is so uh, unique 
Ursula Mamlock. Yeah. You know, it's it's just a very unique name. So it always kind of stuck with me. So one day I was uh, preparing for a theory class and I was kind of looking around for uh, composers who were doing stuff with sets or with rows or whatever. And I was particularly trying to find some composers who weren't just you know, Schoenberg, Webern, and Berg. Thank you. And um, <laughs> and uh, I, I came across, uh, I initially started looking at her uh, string quartet, um, or one of her string quartets, uh, the two Begatelles for string quartet. And as it happened, you know, I was, I was playing those, uh, I, I got the score from our library and I was listening to those, on Spotify and I was you know the recording ran out and I just kind of um you know I was I was too deep in the score to stop it and then all of a sudden I hear this solo violin thing and I put down the put down the string quartet score and I just listen and I'm like oh my god this is so amazing <laughs> and this is I I have to say this is really high praise for me because usually I hate solo pieces I mean, solo solo pieces are uh, typically we hear them as being hard uh, to to craft, uh, and I don't I don't necessarily think it's hard to craft uh, as opposed to hard to make it interesting for someone to listen to for any length of time. I mean, had obviously Andrew, you had you knew about this piece, so how did you encounter this piece the first time? Um, so this, uh, I stumbled across this piece because I more or less stumbled across Ursula Mamlock, uh, in general. And like you, uh, her name had been floating on several listening lists. And of course, uh, I'm very much involved in getting to know more music, uh, uh, from people outside of the traditional Western canon. And so, uh, I think in 2016, I was in the uh, Interlochen uh, Scholar Shop, um, uh, just kind of perusing some some scores and other other things, uh, and came across one of her uh, woodwind quintets. Actually, that was in kind of a, um, a discount uh, score bin uh, for whatever reason. I'm just looking at it. I'm like, you know. Ursula Mamlock's a name that I, I, you know, should have looked into. It's been on all these lists. I, I kind of knew-ish who she was after the comprehensive exam experience, trying to remember all mm-hmm. of the facts and names and dates. Um, but I never really got into much of her music. And so that was kind of a gateway, and I just stumbled across all of this other stuff. And, you know, lo and behold, I found out that she had died a couple months uh, prior, or she, she died in, in 2016, right? And so I'm like, mm-hmm. uh, had this experience of kind of kicking myself for for not investigating sooner, because as it turns out, uh, uh, she is, uh, for lack of a better term in this moment, uh, a serialist, but one with significant amounts of uh, tonal background or underpinning or, or however you, you might mm-hmm. want to phrase it. And I just always like um, exploring composers who frame the techniques of serialism in that kind of a way, because I think I do a lot of that, too, or I like to try and do a lot of that as well. Andrea, had you come across her music before we we proposed this over drinks? I had not. No. So she was. Uh, it's fun to to discover. Um, and looking back, I think maybe because I'm on the International Alliance of Women in Music list, I I think probably mm-hmm. when she passed away, it was mentioned. But I 
she had not been a lady in a binder to me. So I um, <laughs> like for you. <laughs> so. bi- binders full of female composers. <laughs> that is a throwback reference. That's amazing. Okay. So anyway, I apologize. <laughs> but no, I so I think that like her name is maybe back there, but I, I had never had her on one of my listening lists. Mm. Um, so I was like you, very happy to, to run across her and get to know her because, you know, we all have to and want to teach this these kinds of techniques to our students. So it's nice to have more than Krennic. I mean, not that there's anything wrong, but, you know. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> so it's nice to have some new stuff to use this semester. So thank you, Andrew, for your wonderful <laughs> analysis. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, I, uh, I, I, I may have gone overboard. <laughs> Yeah, so let's let's kind of. I mean, I I have my own reasons why I like this piece, uh-huh. but let's kind of get into the analysis that you sent us, which was quite thorough. Wow. Um, yeah, I was impressed. <laughs> but I should I should have known this would be coming. From you, so, yeah. so so Andrew, uh, just just for you know, the the I guess I guess the casual listener to um to maybe new music or whatever how how is this piece different from what you would get from a a a serialist piece by webern or uh schoenberg or or one of those yeah so i i think in terms of of saying something that might interest or intrigue the casual listener uh if you listen to any of the second viennese school or or any of the even the next generation kind of serialists the idea of aggregate completion is something that's that's um very popular the the casual listener does not know you like that you like that (laughs) Uh, the the idea of hearing all 12 pitches um, before you hear any of the other ones more important than any other that came before them, right? That idea yeah. of going through a 12-note row, um, but doing it very quickly. So the idea right, that yeah. there is a lot of very chromatic, colorful, yes, but uh, to, to use a, a loaded term, atonal, uh, uh, music is is something that the second Viennese school is very much associated with. And in the case of the Ursula Mamlock, I think one of the most striking things is the fact that there is, shall we say, a few very present tones and, dare we say, a tonal center uh, uh, while she's using these clearly serial techniques, uh, the unfolding of that is different. The pacing of all of that is very different and structural. Yeah. I mean, as per your uh, analysis here, we don't... (laughs) I'm sorry. We don't... (laughs) I feel like it needs to be posted in the notes or something. It really should be. I think it should be. You should post for, it. For all those who um, didn't get the JPEG files and the... <laughs> Although files. there's probably copyright stuff. You can't do it, but yeah, you know, it's kind of... Um, we don't get the 12th note mm-hmm. of the row until, would you say, uh, kind of golden mean area of the piece? The, That's what you the, said, right? 
the golden mean area is actually um it's around where we get the quote unquote recap like where we go back to the initial harmonics oh that's that's kind of where the golden mean is uh, no we don't okay. we don't get the 12th pitch however until the uh, what i would argue is the climax like right. this is this is so, the loud section yeah and that that 12th pitch dominates until we get to that golden mean oh god section. yeah yep and it's the highest yeah. pitch and all the other things yeah yeah that conception of of serial music just being constantly kind of refreshing uh refreshing the ears with a different you know oh i'm going to use this row and then i'm going to use this uh inversion or retrograde <laughs> or retrograde inversion or this transposition of the row and it's like constantly cycling through all these different rows to get you this you know i some i all right i'm just gonna be honest here Go ahead. other than some of the composers who really take texture into account if texture really isn't being considered in this type of music it all just kind of sounds great to me. You know, it's like it's it's like, oh, I'm going to use all 12 different markers at the same time and what color do you get? Shit brown. Yeah. So Yeah. So that that's that's kind of what a lot of serial music kind of sounds unless there is something else driving the music like orchestration or texture or proportion or something like that. So her very slow pacing and almost kind of like taking what Schoenberg would have done and stretching it out almost over, you know, two thirds of the piece um, where what Schoenberg would have done would have been, you know, over a measure or two measures or mm -hmm. something. Yeah. That was really, I mean, until you brought this up that it was a serial piece, I wouldn't have even thought to, uh, to look for that. Seriously. Look at you. Seriously. <laughs> I'm He's so, so happy. I'm so well and and you know I'm I'm teaching a I'm teaching a course on this right now of which this is one of the pieces that's featured very heavily. Uh, uh so so thank you for allowing me an opportunity to get a head start on my analysis. Um <laughs> but uh, I I want to I want to I want to table this for a moment cuz Andrea was making one of the best faces ever while you were in the midst of describing uh, uh how how a traditional kind of 12 tone piece unfolds. Uh -oh. well, no, what was I I'm, doing? I'm just, I'm j I was just thinking about uh, how how such a rapigate uh, rap rapigate good excellent a rapid aggregate completion if we have these very fast chromatic scales right yeah you you could be using an inversion or a retrograde or a retrograde inversion of the row but in the end what do you end up with you end up with oh another chromatics you know that super yeah. show. and so i i was wondering if, i was wondering andrea what was going through your mind with that face because it was perfect <laughs> well could you describe to me what the face was <laughs> it was it was i no <laughs> um it it, it kind of it was, it was okay. this uh you had at at once a a sense of wonderment and also like tedium <laughs> this is wonderfully tedious I have I have a very complex face. Um, no, I um, I think because what what uh, Rob was saying was that you know you it's for me it's the color. I guess I was trying to think. I was waiting for him to say it was not just the texture, but mm. the 
the, the color. So mm-hmm. if you don't, if you aren't looking at different timbres with it too, which she does beautifully, right? Oh, She's right. Like, all the different ways that she can explore those A's and how mm-hmm. can I, you know, so I guess that's maybe what I was thinking about was mm-hmm. I was waiting for the word color timbre to come and it, it hadn't yet. So I apologize. And, and then, and then it did. <laughs> I was, and then, I was alley-ooping it to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, I, I, you know, you know what's interesting about that too, though, is we're we're talking about, um, maybe maybe we talked about this at Bowling Green a lot, or or through some through some kind of uh, lens, but the idea of of how information is supplied to a listener, how much, how fast, um, the pacing of it, yeah, and and the idea that you know if if the which some composers don't consider uh, uh, twelve twelve tone serial music to be. Um, the, you know, the end goal is not necessarily that you sit down to listen to it for enjoyment. This is music that is meant to be taken apart, that is meant to be analyzed, that's meant to be discussed academically. Uh, it's not necessarily for everyone. And, and to take a step back and say, but it could be if you think about it like this, or if you take this kind of a vantage point to it. And I actually think in the system itself, um, Schoenberg probably knew this, um, and I say, I mean, he has all sorts of writings and things on on uh, his technique and other types of music. But just looking at the music itself is why I say probably, because, you know, what does he do when he starts experimenting with with uh, serialism in its kind of uh, infancy? Um, you look at all the very, very old musical forms that he's using this with. So he, he like dials up his, his harmonic language fader to a 10 or even an 11 mm-hmm. and and then mm-hmm. what does he do with all the other musical parameters? He's goes, well, let's give them a two. Yeah. You know, let's, <laughs> yeah. let's just, you don't want to stretch people too far. <laughs> ex- yeah. And so, I mean, I mean, maybe, maybe somebody could look at that and say, yeah, but since you dialed that up to such an extreme, maybe you need even like sl- even let like like get that fader all the way down <laughs> to, to something even uh, <laughs> even further, so that your your harmonic landscape kind of becomes perceivable in a new way i don't know well when i think also it's um it was funny i went back and listened to the 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 uh the group chat with with jamie recently i have Mm. the wrong thing but anyway we were talking about form and um she was she was questioning that i wasn't using a traditional form and it was like well i don't think i i need to in the Mm. same way but i think if we're if when Schoenberg was starting this system, you know, um, he had to give people something to hang on to because everything else was so new. Mm. So I think it's kind of the, the inverse of what you're saying is that like, okay, we, if they need form because they've yeah. been trained to listen to sonatas. So this is going to help them understand the harmonic language. Yeah, and and you know maybe, maybe I don't know. Yeah, yeah, well, maybe maybe we're also thinking about this. Uh, uh, we're thinking about this maybe from an audience standpoint. But I wonder too if if it didn't just help him also, like oh, yeah, probably. Well, yeah, like okay, here I'm I'm experimenting with this new thing. How the hell? <laughs> Like, I mean, yeah. the, the whole reason why he's doing it, of course, is because he's playing around with atonality. Was, 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 past tense, wine. Um, <laughs> uh, he was playing around with atonality. And atonality, as, as both of you know, uh, because we, we've all dabbled with it, uh, it's just bloody hard to, um, 
to sustain. It's exhausting. You're trying trying to create this piece that is at once organic, but also non, like doesn't fall back on convention or tropes or like, how the hell is that? How how does that work? Uh, So the idea then that you have um, some kind of, of unifying force or a system in place that you can use to do this, that's great. But at the same time, okay, I'm using the system for the first time. How, how do I do that? <laughs> yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're talking about Schoenberg who was writing these pieces, you know, 1925 mm. in, in that, in that re you know, in that general area, this piece considerably later. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, Nineteen. Oh, I wrote the it. Copyright is eighty-seven. It is. Yeah, but I don't think that's when she wrote it. Um, uh, well, that's, it wasn't. That's the Rob's notes. research face. That anyway. I'm right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was later. That was one of the things I- this is this is why I like these podcasts. <laughs> I know because you know what? It's okay. We don't know yeah. things. We can look them up. We know we're smart people. We are. <laughs> we are. Maybe we can look them up. <laughs> that that was the thing when I was looking this up. It took me a, a lot of searching to actually find the 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 real. Um, the website's uh, date. pretty good. Mm-hmm. The website's pretty good. Did Eighty eighty three. Okay. It's from 1983. Oh, so I mean, so the publishing date is what five years off? Then I think 87's the yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So much, much after you know this this particular technique had been introduced, and actually at that point it had become quite mainstream mm-hmm. um, in in oh, compositional can, can, in many can compositional we, yeah, circles. Can we put mainstream in quotes? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just. Yeah. just <laughs> Academic mainstream. I know, I know some people who have some problems with that. <laughs> I mean, a, a, the the academic mainstream is that right. fair? I, I think there was yes. I think there was a a significant amount of folks in academia during the seventies and eighties who would have been um, insistent upon yeah. this type of music. And it was to the point that it was so now old fashioned that people were resisting against it, right? Mm-hmm. Like they were moving on, right? Moving back to tonality or something similar to it. Yeah, the seventies was kind of that that era where it was like it that that was the backlash. Yeah, you know. So in nineteen eighty three, we're at the point where you know I don't know if I don't know historically if that's still part of the backlash, but certainly like other things are happening mm. at that point. Yeah. You know, so so here's this composer who's who's kind of putting her own twist on on this, you know, serial method. But I think I thought it was very interesting. She uh, I found a quote from her and I'm just going to be really honest. It was on Wikipedia. <laughs> oh, I, think, um, I think I know what this quote is. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> she says <laughs> she, Actually, there are two quotes I'm going to bring up, but and both of them are from Wikipedia. But the one quote is, my music is colorful with the background of tonality, tonal centers. I can't shake it completely. You know, and I just and, and you mentioned that before, that there are these that it's serial music that has tonal centers. And uh, I actually thought that was uh, that was really interesting when you when you you know you go back through and you analyze it not from the perspective of 12 tone but actually from the perspective 
of having pitch centers or tonal centers and what those actually look like. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So I, I do, do I, I have a thing about this piece. It is not as uh, impressive, or it doesn't go into the depth that your that your analysis did. But um, I think it's kind of I think it's kind of interesting because all right. So in the beginning of this piece, it's just A for a while. Yes. And then she finally introduces F sharp. Mm-hmm. And that's like, oh my God, the world just opened up. The people's interval, by the way. That's the people's interval. The minor third. <laughs> the people love the minor third. So is this your theory or have you read this somewhere? <laughs> is this a D minor is the saddest of all keys? Oh. Or <laughs> the well, people's I, but she's interval? Also, I mean, she's still, she's playing with, still playing with are we in a tonal center? Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But F sharp doesn't really stick around that long before we get the next note, C, which sticks around also a minor third, mm-hmm. A to C, mm-hmm. because A is still very much a part of the texture. Mm-hmm. And a tritone so, away from F sharp. I'm just going to, we're just, we're going to do this all day. <laughs> <laughs> so we get, uh, we get A and C and I would actually kind of argue that C becomes uh you know a another uh the the next tonal center is that fair mm. would you would you agree with that um it it is i think okay so it is certainly a pitch class of focus um and uh, bec- because of the the stress and the length and of course i'm doing this to try and i go back to my chart <laughs> as i stall <laughs> And well, I would say, E flat fat quickly. Oh, uh, flat har- harumph, harumph! According to my chart, <laughs> yes, uh, C is the the next most prevalent. Well, wait. No, your. I no, hang on. Yeah, no. Uh, no, no. I, I'm I'm sure it is. A- but... Andrea's making another face. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not okay, making so, any faces. So you... There's no faces. <laughs> You this this should be a video. This should be a vodcast. Ooh. Well, see then I wouldn't be wearing but, this, and I would have yeah. <laughs> the chart you're referring to is the like how many how, how many times does the pit does each pitch get used? Correct. Right? Yes, it is. Okay. Yeah. I think that's a little misleading because oh, bring it up the entire. I I think if you only did that chart up until the recap, it would be with I guess with what I'm with what I'm talking about, it would be valid. But since the recap has A in every single measure, Mm -hmm. A gets a little bit uh, its numbers get a little bit out of whack. It gets to be part of a hierarchy, doesn't it? Uh huh. I understand that, uh. but <laughs> we're talking about. I'm not supposed to say things. I'll just, I'll just. The, drink. W- the way, the way I'm framing this is like, you, you are holding a to a much higher standard because if we're just listening to this as first time listeners, we don't know that we're gonna get 18 million A's at the end of the piece. It's true. Oh, it's it's very valid, right? Yep. So at this point in the piece. C actually holds kind of as much weight as A does. He, uh, she spends just about as much time on C as she does on A. 
and and I think it's a it's a it's a fair thing to to uh, to highlight. And I also think it goes back to Andrea's point where uh, we're we're still we're still very unsure because yeah, I think C and A are definitely more important than let's say F sharp, just in terms of the the length right. of time we spend on them. But mm-hmm. all of the intervals around these things are still like equidistant because I mean, what's what's mm-hmm. the next thing that comes in uh, after C? I actually don't have my. Is it E flat? Well, it's D sharp E flat. Yeah. D- yeah. D sharp. So, I mean. <laughs> so, I mean so so I mean, if what's an I mean, enharmonic between it. friends? Yeah, yeah. I mean, she corrects it later in the in the measure, right? Uh-huh. You get the D sharp, and then almost immediately the E flat. Just yeah, a different right. octave. Yeah. And and so and so I'm th- I'm thinking to myself, oh, and so if yeah, it could, and then we, so we're ju- we're just playing around in kind of this fully diminished uh, seventh chord universe where it's like. Oh, all the ambiguity. It's like this is perfectly symmetrical. Um, Correct. And mm-hmm. and and then it becomes a question of oh, if we're using kind of a perfectly symmetrical kind of harmony, it, are we actually leading somewhere else? Is this is this a fully diminished seventh chord, which is going to take us to some other tonal center? It doesn't go to the D. I mean, yeah. it goes. There's the D is the next one, but that's not normal. Like it's not what we're teaching our kids in the ah uh-huh. <laughs> So this brings me to the next point. <laughs> what a I'm segment. Glad I, set, I set that up. That's always my job. Aliou. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we get D and F natural. And of course, the whole time, and this is, one, this is one of the things I think is so brilliant about this piece, is that just because we get new pitches, it doesn't mean the other pitches go away. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. basically, if she, if she introduces a new pitch, it's fair game for the rest of the piece. Yep. You know, it's not going to go away until we complete the aggregate. And right. that that's one of the things that I think makes this piece very, very interesting. So uh, we, we are on our fifth and sixth pitches at this point. But truly, the D and the F, if you, they uh, get introduced in measure 24, mm-hmm. and we don't move, we don't have another new pitch introduction until measure 34 and so they stick around for 10 measures and and that would be and so and so then we have oh is this a kind of a greater dominant experience or is it just like this dominant thing moving to this d minor kind of centricity and i think correct me if i'm wrong is that next pitch class c sharp after the after after the d-ness yeah 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 it's c sharp yeah huh the leading tone (laughs) But there's more. Oh, <laughs> another show. So, so basically, in terms of pitch centers, in terms of pitch centers, we've had A, mm-hmm. which is very important. We've had C, which is very important. Mm-hmm. Minor third. Correct. We've had D and we've had F pretty much at the same time, mm-hmm. but also kind of equally important mm-hmm. because she doesn't favor one over the other. They are pretty much... Uh, as important as each other at the same time. D to F. Another minor third. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So although, although, kind of introducing... Go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, although uh, um, if we're speaking from a, a listener standpoint, purely acoustically, regardless of what position the D or the F is, we're always going to hear D just harmonically slightly more important. If if we're just thinking Especially about those on the two violin. Pitches. Say that again? Especially on the violin. Oh. 
See, I look at this as a violinist. See, see, and that's why you, you keep bringing this back to timbre. <laughs> sorry, Rob, we interrupted with all sorts of awesome. Sorry, I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so I guess awesome I guess what I'm saying <laughs> I guess what I'm saying here is is she is introducing pitch centers in pairs of minor thirds, okay, or it, it, it just generically in pairs of thirds. Okay, yeah, A and C, D and F, and you actually mentioned that the like the A C thing. If we just take A as the root of that chord and forget about you know function or whatever mm-hmm. a is the a would be the dominant of d right correct okay so then the next pitch we introduce is c sharp we immediately get away from that mm-hmm. like c sharp is so unimportant um <laughs> we immediately get to g a lot and we hang a on, lot of g and we hang on g for for not as long as the other ones but timbre of the violin sufficiently long timbre of the violin <laughs> It's almost this like is a good are, thing to do, composition students, is to focus the, on A, D, and G on the violin. Yeah. <laughs> are, are these, it's almost like these are open strings or something. <laughs> almost. I, I highly recommend it. So, G comes in. Then we get G sharp, B, and A sharp. Mm. Now, this is, this is kind of the first time she has introduced uh, three pitches at the pretty much the same time Mm. you know the g sharp slides up to b and then we get the a sharp but a sharp again it kind of goes away so we have g that's important for a long time and g sharp and a sharp kind of fade into the background only as uh grace notes and we get b b is the is the predominant pitch Mm. for a while yeah fair yeah it's fair yeah okay it is fair you're right (laughs) So again, <laughs> we have a we have two pitch centers that are introduced as pairs, mm-hmm. G and B. Again, a third. But a major third. A major third. I mean, I got to find a crack in this theory somewhere. <laughs> no, there is no crack cuz it will reveal itself in time. <clears throat> Bs sound so, good on the E string, students. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So, <laughs> yes. so, yes. so we have A and C, D and F, G and B. Mm-hmm. One could make the same uh, connection that D is the dominant of G, right? Uh, yes, yes, one could. One, w- one should. <laughs> if they want to pass. If they want. Theory class. Okay. <laughs> then we're hanging on B for the longest time. And then we finally get that 12th note, mm-hmm. right? The E. Yes. And E hangs, and, and this is the first time we get uh, in measure 47, 48, 40, 49, we get the complete 12-tone row in order leading up to the introduction of the uh, pitch E. Correct. Right? Yes. What Conbravura. pitches? <laughs> what, yes. <laughs> what pitches have we had on pitch centers so far? A C D B or sorry A C D F G B E diatonic pitch centers. Yeah, and and if we think about it that way, it's it's kind of this uh, uh, diatonicness. And if you if you are still thinking that um, 
if you're still thinking that maybe actually D is quite important, you 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 could think of your imagination in that way, I think. Oh, I think I just hit my microphone. Oh, well. Uh, you could think of this this kind of area as, as or this piece being actually very D-focused if you're in kind of this quasi-Dorian um, sort of sort of mode, which which is convenient to explain your your B natural. <laughs> wow. See, <laughs> wow. see, I'm lo- I'm looking at this. I- I'm kind of looking at this as the first. Um, I-, I I of course I believe that a since it has such a big part in the recap is a big part of this piece. Oh yes. So A kind of represents the the tonic, and our first two pitch centers, A and C, kind of represent a minor one. Mm-hmm. And then we get D and F, a minor four. Yeah. And then we get G and B, a major seven. Mm-hmm. So we're following the circle of fifths in a way. Mm-hmm. And then we have to cut, we have to break that to get to the five, E, which eventually leads us back to A, the tonic the of tonic our recap. Of a, yeah. 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 So it's kind of just a big one five one if we're thinking in Schenker terms. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> that felt so dirty coming out. <laughs> I hated myself for saying that, but it also had to be said because that's what anyone else who's ever taken Schenker. Would, oh, it's just one five one. Yeah, no, that's just uh, that's just an unfolding of one five one. I fucking hate Schenker more than any other theory known to man, but. <laughs> It was. It's kind of. I think you should tell us how you really feel. Wait. <laughs> Sorry. No. I mean, it's table it's that. Just, table that. It's just the truth. <laughs> we can have a whole other podcast mm-hmm. on theories I hate. Um. So so if you'll refer back to my my frequency chart. Um, yes. Uh, it's it's interesting because all of the pitches that you you've mentioned, with with the notable exception of of F sharp, um, but all of those are the ones that appear more frequently, right? Um, the idea that E, B natural, G, um, uh, F in some extent, D, Andrew, C. you need to look at your screen right now. What? What? I don't remember that. Andrea has printed out your, your chart. <laughs> she comes prepared. It's I so do. Good. It's so good. Because I didn't have time to analyze this thing. <laughs> I even printed out the analysis. Look at I that. had fully intended to like highlight it today. I didn't have time for that either. It's, Sorry. It, 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 no, you can totally look on my notes. It's, uh, it's totally fine. <laughs> After I after am. so many after so many lessons of me coming in, Doctor Rankemeyer, can you help me with this? <laughs> I, th- I think I owe you. <laughs> well, I hope. I, so this was sorry. I'm totally detracting for a second. Just asterisk. You know, reading um, on the the Mamluk uh, Trust page. Did you guys mm. check that out? Yeah. Where she, no, she, I just looked at the she, Wikipedia. So <laughs> she she talks that like they talk about every single one of her teachers, and then it's like. But she didn't think that was worthwhile. So, <laughs> so Andrew, I, I hope that you did not 
have that same feeling. No, no, I did. Uh, no, I did not. It's 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 very. It was a it was a wonderful experience, and I thank you. I thank you for that. Um, it, it, it was you a know what? You know what's very interesting though. I think many people that studied with her also did not did not uh, also had a very oh. positive experience. At least. Um, when when I had posted on social media, I think I posted a, a message on Facebook about about you know, kicking myself for for not knowing her music sooner. And I think Alex Shapiro uh, uh, sent me a, a message um, uh, that was that was more or less, oh yeah, you know when I when I studied, you know she's such a such a, was such a warm person and uh, mm-hmm. such a great pedagogue that uh, that Alex really enjoyed studying with her and and got a lot oh, out of those lessons and uh it was echoed by kurt doles uh who who is the director of the mid-american center mm-hmm. for contemporary music but um kurt had programmed one of ursula's pieces for uh the new music festival and uh he he had commented under uh, alex shapiro's uh, message to me that yeah can totally vouch for uh uh Mamlock's uh, warmth and sincerity, because uh, he had sent her a message, an email, I believe, that was, you know, an invitation to the festival. But he knew full well that, you know, to cross the pond is no small feat, especially at at her age at the time. But she took the the time to send this very apologetic email Aww. response back, and yeah. you just, it was so, uh, you know, it was one of those things that I think probably made Kurt's day, <laughs> if that's fair. Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> so sorry. Ask yeah, back back to Rob's I'm analysis. Done. <laughs> Shut up, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but I do I do think this is very telling of like she there's no way this was an accident. No. no. It can't be. No. Can't yeah. No. Like she and the the thing that I think is most interesting for me about this piece i mean that that little you know theory tangent was great you know what once i once i really dug into it i was like it's all titanic pitch centers Mm. um Mm -hmm. that was that was really fun to find but that wasn't what of course that wasn't what drew me to the piece in the first place what drew me to the feet to the piece in the first place was her tight control of proportion Mm -hmm. and I mean, it, it, it certainly has to do with the fact that, you know, she does have pitch centers. It's not just completing the aggregate all the time. We stay in a certain area for a while and then we move. But how long we stay in that area before it would get boring? I think right. she knows exactly how long to take it and how much variation needs to be in there before it's like, okay, we have reached the point right now. It's going to feel great to give, to give the listener a new note, Mm. Mm. you know, or to, or to give them a new timbre or a new technique or a new register. I mean, all of these things play into her tight control of proportion. Um, have have either of you seen any of the the uh, video interviews or documentation or, or documentaries uh, floating around uh, YouTube or any of these places? There's there's a couple uh, with About her. About what? Oh no, um, I have not seen that, that. No. Yeah. Uh, so there's there's one in particular. It's a very short one. I think it's actually, if I'm remembering correctly, it was a promotional video for a, a, an upcoming concert or something that that featured a lot of her music. Um, 
but she she's talking a little bit about uh, her creative process and and how um, you know she acknowledges the fact that twelve tone music or serial techniques to create a composition are are like anything else, like any other system, even a system of tonality. It if you are following the the framework, the rules, it actually it's it's quite a process to get a music out of it that's actually compelling. And so she's yeah. talking about just obsessively working over material and continuously playing it and singing it at the piano what? and just, and trying to, and so I, when you're talking about, you know, her, her tight control of proportion and her sense of pacing, I think it has so much to do with how often she is like consciously, trying to hear these relationships to like to make sure yes that is that is the note that's next not just because it's the note that's next in the row but because this is the right time for that note to occur yeah we're just going to keep that pause in there aren't we (laughs) i was i was consciously thinking like rob you've talked a lot you need to shut up for a while <laughs> but awesome. I I I agree with you 100%. I mean, I I just think it speaks to musicality. You know, yeah. her her personal musicianship. Mus- yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, she wants to hear this piece because it's beautiful. Yes. It, yes. Exactly. Well, a- yeah. a- Andrea, I might be misremembering this, but 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 didn't you once say and either a, and she's like, oh God, what did I say? Oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, didn't you once say either a lesson or a, a group kind of kind of circumstance where where it, it was more or less this idea of of um, you know uh, you never liked hearing the system, like if you if you hear the if that you hear like the system, yeah, that's that seems to be. Uh, not as compelling as if you listen to a piece of music and you're you're, you're swept away, you're you're blown away by the music, yeah. and then how much more exciting is it when you start taking that music apart and realize, oh, underneath everything is this this structure, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, n- you know, no one no I one buys the that. car, no one buys. I'm not. I don't know why I'm using car analogies. I I don't know anything about <laughs> autom- automobiles. Um, <laughs> But uh, but you know nobody nobody buys a car with like ju- it's just the engine and the steering wheel and the gas like like they, the yeah. outside has to be packaged in a way that's appealing aesthetically, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you know that's not the aesthetic the outside the carriage isn't the thing that actually makes the makes the vehicle move like that's well, what's I, propelling yeah. the music forward is this tight control of structure but what's interesting to hear about the music is all of the surface level detail and timbre that she puts in yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Andrea did you want to talk about all the timbral coolness you seem to be so <laughs> under- <laughs> no no you're doing it for me just fine I'm just smiling well, let me, before before you get to that, Andrea, if you didn't say what Andrew said, you you have now said it. It sounds like attribu- something I believe. So okay, so we're gonna attribute it to you, and I'm gonna steal it. Yes. Okay. yes. Preach the good word. I hope that I said that. <laughs> you have you did mm-hmm. we're just rewriting history uh-huh. you know what i i just reread 1984 and you know it. we can just rewrite history as as much as we want and it is history now so you said well, it. well it's happening Voila. all around us daily <laughs> but yeah. timbre 
Tamper. I love Tamper. What would you like me to say about Tamper? Oh, it's written beautifully uh, well, for the violin. <laughs> I was gonna, well, I was going to say, as as someone who is a, a violin, and well, technically, because you play five string violin, right? Which is oh well. <laughs> I own a five-string violin Excellent. because, very big asterisk, we don't need to tell that story. I'm you, a violinist. You dabble. <laughs> well, I own a blue electric violin, yes. It's so good. It's, it's so good. Yeah, it's um, cool. but, but as a string player, how about that? Uh, yes. Yes. As a string player, do you is there anything in this that you f- you say it's very well written for the violin? But you know, many many things are well written for the violin that maybe aren't quite as compelling as this piece. Um, and so, so is there anything in here that you found not just particularly idiomatic, but just but just seemed to be the right timbre for the right job? Yeah, I mean, there's so many places where. You know, you they, she could have made different choices, but just mm. the, the like the pacing of them and the unfolding of the timbres with the pitches, I think it's they 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 work together so beautifully, and they kind of dovetail with each other in a, mm. in a really really pleasing way. And so I think, and it's not like I mean, there's a lot of things she didn't use, so it's not mm. like she was just throwing everything in there because she could. I think it, it's like it's showing you that she's controlling harmony and she's controlling pacing and she's controlling timbre. She's doing all of it so beautifully. So that, I think what? that's... Sorry, finish finish what you were saying. No, no, you interrupted. It's gone. <laughs> <laughs> Zing. No, no, no. I didn't, wanna... I didn't mean the, the... it as like a dig. It's just, it's more me. Like right now... When you're really stressed out, you know, it's like hard to keep your thoughts. So it, no, that's right. yeah, it's not you. Of... It's me. It's just gone. OK, well, I, you know, you were you were saying she was she was controlling harmony and controlling pacing and controlling timbre. One could say that she was composing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's like what we're supposed to do. That's what we're supposed to do. Students. I don't know if that was worth cutting you off. but <laughs> Sorry, that's funny. I've more, talked so much. All, all it was a lot is, more fun your way. So funny. <laughs> you know, so I'm I'm looking at this going crap. I should have probably done. Um, I I mean I don't I looking at it looking at it I don't necessarily think this is uh, an integral serial piece, but at, but at the same time but at the same time I'm looking at the way. Uh, the some of the techniques unfold as the pitches unfold, and I'm and I'm I don't I don't think there's a specific technique tied to a specific pitch per se, but the techniques seem to be utilized in ways that like manage energy and intensity. Like you get you get the tremolos after you get the you know the harmon. You know you you don't you don't get things out of order we started from a very simple serene kind of place and we keep adding techniques that add density and color driving to somewhere i we think almost you can almost imagine it because i mean the title i think tells you a lot about why she mm. did that right you know so um you go out to the garden at first you're just like ah oh, sun Mm. Oh, that's so nice and you're you're enjoying that bit but as you sit there and you listen more deeply and intent you know, intensively, um, 
you hear more activity and you're hearing you see more color and yeah you see more color and like oh there's a cool bug and it's actually it's making a sound which i didn't notice before Mm. when i first came out and i hadn't spent time in the space and allowed myself to hear it so i think it's it, it make it to me. I guess that part is part of the reason why it makes sense is that you, you can see that she's really like spending some time listening. Mm-hmm. There was there was another quote that I think applies to this where she said, uh, "My main concern is that the music should convey the various emotions in it with clarity and conviction. It interests me to accomplish this with a minimum of material." transforming it in such multiple ways so as to give the impression of ever new ideas that are like the flowers of a plant all related yet each one different oh my god yep yeah tying it all together i didn't know that quote (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah that's what it is uh, and time. and looking at looking at her her descriptive markings that's also mm-hmm. i mean every every layer of this piece mm-hmm. is um i don't i don't i think she taps into all of that every layer of this piece is designed to reinforce the an overall concept there's there, there there's no stone left unturned can i make more garden references in this analogy can i possibly do I that love yeah, um, do it. there's no stone left unturned in turn in terms of the uh the musical techniques and devices that she's also, kind of bringing she's not together. afraid to prune it when it needs to be pruned. Oh. She's not. Mm, so and honestly, there's there's no hurry. There's no hurry. Literally. In doing this. See, no one that hasn't seen the score isn't going to get that. But <laughs> there, she literally says no hurry I, in her. Yeah. Did I highlight it? that actually too? You did highlight that. And yeah. <laughs> I think I was geeking out about it because, uh, so, so, well, we begin with like the, the initial marking is still as if suspended, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And of course, it's, it's quite slow, uh, the tempo marking. Um, but, you know, as, as we go along. 48 even. Yeah. Uh, uh, circa. M- m- circa, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, as we go Which I've along, been told not to use 48, by the way. Well, it's, it's, it, what, wait, why not? Too slow. Oh. I tell my students not to use anything that's slow either. At, like if I, I, I well, feel no, 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 that, sorry, that, that's incorrect. Um, I tell them only not to use that slow of a tempo if they are getting into 30 second notes gotcha. at 48. Yeah. If, if you're getting into 30 second notes at 48, bump it up and make them 16th notes. You know, what are we doing here, people? <laughs> what seriously? What are we doing? The um, well, I was going along at forty-eight. I don't know about what y'all are doing. Um, the- I-, I love forty-eight. <laughs> I've used it in many pieces and been scolded. I mean, it's a, it's a legit. <laughs> it's on a metronome. It's a legitimate tempo mark, right? I agree. I'm just telling you what I've heard. It. I I agree that it is a legitimate tempo marking <laughs> if 16th note is your fastest duration, which hers is. I mean, I I do concede that she uses grace notes, but 48 is the is the appropriate tempo for this piece. 
and for and other pieces that are getting into 32nd and 64th notes at 48, that is not appropriate. Yeah, oh, all all of those things, all of those things, and and Andrea bringing up the idea that this is for it's for one player, which is also, by the way, why I think circa is important because I no one wants this to be played at forty eight. No, no, I'm. No one wants what I'm. What we're looking at on the page right now. No one wants to see this guy. Oh, I got to fit all that shit in a beat. No, <laughs> that's not the way this works. <laughs> Um, any, anywho, uh, we were talking about, we were, we were, t- we were talking Rebra. about not, <laughs> non sequitur. Uh, we were talking about the, uh, the unhurried quality of that third page, right? Well, on the first two yeah. pages, we've gradually built up a ton of this motion to that last particular pitch class. And then a ton of motion around, uh, uh the celebration, if you will, of, of arriving at that E. Um, and, and then on the last page there, oh, correct me if I'm wrong. I gotta, I got, maybe I should look at it before I make an ass out of myself and no, there's no grace notes. No, there's no, no grace notes on no this page. No grace notes whatsoever. And in yeah. the middle of this page is in parentheses, no hurry. Mm-hmm. And I know it's about a particular part, right? That it's, it's, it's pointing to a particular part of the score, uh, where maybe maybe a performer in in dialogue or or rehearsal co- uh, context might have might have pushed a moment where she's like no 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 hurry, but it's it's built into that entire section. There's no more grace notes. There's no more. Mm-hmm. There's no more quick things. It's just this kind of peaceful unfolding. There's and with no more grace notes, there's no more density yeah either i mean the the grace notes was really how she achieved density into mm-hmm. getting to to getting to that e that you know that coveted dominance and can like uh maintaining the intensity of that dominant all the way through however you know however many measures she did in preparation to go back to the tonic mm. so the density just kind of poof goes away all of a sudden and we're back to the the opening figure and the and the opening pitch class. Yeah, it is a it is a pretty dramatic drop off. I think I had a density graph too, didn't I? You did. Do you want me to bring it up? <laughs> I have it. There it is, there it right is. there. One big peak in the middle. <laughs> You know, he did I, the work, so I didn't have to. I didn't have the time anyway, so I it's so, appreciate it. It's so it. good. It's so good. <laughs> well, and and you know, I love. Uh, it, it's. I mean, part of me thinks it's almost stupid doing this. Uh, the 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 graph things. You know, do, doing uh, because you listen to it, you look at the score, and some of this stuff. It's like, yeah, obviously, there's a ton of A. It's like, do you really need a quantifiable chart that shows you? But at the same time. I love, I love that kind of quantifiable data because I'm that guy. Um, I love that quantifiable data, that kind of hard evidence. Uh, and maybe it's my, uh, my kind of predilection or, or enjoyment of, of people like David Cope who, who say that a composer style is just literally the, like, the percentage of times they do a certain type of thing. It's like, how, how likely are they Uh-oh. to do a certain type of thing? That's the essence of their style. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Rob's making a face now. I'm not sure yeah, what that's like, about. I don't know. <laughs> I'm kind of thinking about that. I mean, I like David Cope too, but. <laughs> yeah. 
That's interesting. No, it's good things to think about, right? So we we should mention that uh, when we get the quote-unquote recap of the piece, the row itself is rearranged. It is. It is. So, it Andrew, is. since you since you did the work, how is it rearranged compared to the original? Compellingly. Well, I mean, okay. Compellingly. So, 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 in, interesting, interesting things happen. Like, uh, so we were obsessed about that minor third situation, right? Mm-hmm. From the beginning, and totally. the the order the order is consistent in some ways, right? Because we do A and then we do F sharp again, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. And then the uh, D sharp. And Say that again. And then the D sharp and then the C. Yeah. Yeah. So so a lot of this is is kind of unfolding in a very similar that it's it may be maybe even referential. Some people might actually be able to to hear that kind of connection. What I find more interesting is the exact order of the row is not uh is not maintained, but what is maintained is the hexachordal structure. Right. Like it's she's using the same hexachordal structure. So the the first six notes are actually part of the same family of chords as the first six notes. She's just kind of, I can't remember if she, I'm not looking at that particular analysis that I have. I can't remember if she transposed it or if she inverted it. Um, You said everything T9 of original and reordered. So yeah, so when when you, so when you transpose the original hexachord nine semitones, uh, in pitch class space, what you end up with is the uh, sorry, 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 the inversion of a minor third. By the way, <laughs> I love that we each bring our own biases to the analysis. Just, the, uh, just want to point that out. When I was, it, yeah, I, yeah, definitely. When when you transpose this particular what uh, what hexachord is it? I have to do this in my head. Uh, Six twenty seven. Oh, um, so it's yeah. uh, z- uh, zero one. Th- oh shit! It's 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 yours that you used in that yeah. micro scenario, yeah, right? It, it's isn't the that zero funny? one three four six nine? Yeah. There's so your email. Um, so this this particular hexachord, I, uh, uh, when you transpose it up that many semitones, you actually get you get some invariance, right? You get some pitches that are common with the original, but then some new right pitches. Um, and so she takes those common pitches and uses them in similar ways to the original. But now we have in the in the quote unquote reordering of the row, we get these new pitches, but from the same hexachord, from the same family. So it's the same sound without being just oh ho hum. Here's the recapitulation, and here's the original row uh, again. Yeah. If you missed it the mm-hmm. first time, um, and that's a that's a thing that. Uh, uh, in in many ways, she might be taking this from the the second Viennese school because she does she had said that she was very influenced by um, Schoenberg, Webern, and Berg, each sure. of each of whom used the system in in very different ways. Honestly, mm-hmm. uh, this mm-hmm. this kind of this kind of twelve tone thing, and it, it's I think it's important to always keep in mind that the system itself, twelve tone or serial serial music, is is built on a technique. Uh, any anything can be serial, 
anything can be ordered. That's that's all it is, right? Uh, it's not a style, even though you you tend to get certain types of styles out of it when you use certain types of constraints. But I think as we can see here, if you if you disregard some constraints and utilize others, you do get something that's actually quite, for lack of a better term, centric. Well, yeah. I think what people, I mean, when people are first starting to study this stuff, they kind of think it's prescripted. But I think yeah. what it shows is that it's actually just composers are thinking through things and they're bringing their own like, interests, bias, who they are baggage. as a musician, baggage <laughs> <laughs> to, to it. I wasn't going to say that, but, <laughs> um, um, but you know what I mean? Like that it's, and I don't know that that's necessarily different than tonal music, right? I mean, people exactly. who are, we know it's Beethoven because Beethoven brought his own baggage to tonality, right? So dare dare I say, did some, did some things a certain percentage of the time? Right. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> So just I don't know there doesn't have to be any uh skepticism in my music it's just you know triplet half notes but there you go I gave it to you it's my, <laughs> my 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 friend who is you know has a music minor she's like you're all about those triplet half notes so I was like damn it <laughs> Oh no they've under So now no one has secret. to dig Now we don't we, that's it triplet half notes You can boil my music down so Going back to the uh, the hexachordal construction, I we forgot to mention this, oh. but this oh. this I mean, Andrew, you should you should mention it of the original row and then of the reordered row. Uh, that six twenty seven. What what should I what should I be mentioning the fact that, that <laughs> I mean the fact that I like this particular hexachord. No, that apparently that Mike's Hard Lemonade is doing the job right now, Woo! but <laughs> or all of the wine before it. God, that's gross. Um, you no, can't taste it the, right now. I, I bet can kind of taste can't. it. I can kind of taste it. <laughs> and that's nasty. <laughs> no, that uh, six twenty-seven is a self-complimentary hexachord. Oh, it's self-complimentary. So, yeah. Yeah, so you can build a row just like you you don't even have to think about all 12 notes. You can think about six and then they they it's its own complement and then you get 12. So mm-hmm. this piece is boiled down even to just like you know, you can you can boil it down in, even to just the six notes, the first six notes. I'm I'm wondering if because it's built on a self-complementary hexachord, this also open up opens up the possibility for very very easy um, combinatoriality, um, mm-hmm. or 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 I should say uh, non-trivial combinatoriality, because every every twelve-tone row is combinator- is hexachordally combinatorial if you take itself and reverse it. Right? If you if you play a row mm-hmm. and then retrograde that row and play it simultaneously. Voila, hexachordal combinatoriality. Right. Um, so now you you're making you're making aggregates at the at the uh, uh, every every six notes. I'm I'm wondering if uh, that comes into play on some level in this piece, and I just didn't think to look at it. 
Well, have you given your lecture on this piece yet? I have not, but guess what I'm doing? <laughs> I, I have already given my lecture on hexachordal, trichordal, and tetrachordal combinatoriality. Um, okay. I think after I, I scoop up what's left of my students' brains and reassemble them, um, <laughs> I, I think I might, I might see... Actually, you know, to, to, be, to be quite fair, there's, there's a lot of them that are truly geeking out over, over what we're doing. Um, That's great. And on, on Tuesday, That's they're awesome. actually turning in... The Tuesday, they're actually turning in their first 12-counting assignment. Um, they're doing their 12-counting Babbitt's, uh, the first of the three compositions. You know, you know, yes, uh, yes, fair. Uh, But I don't know why we as theory teachers uh, insist upon using Schoenberg or Webern to do their initial 12 counts um, when that that first of the three pieces, it's so damn clear. Yeah, it's Krennic. I always use Krennic for that reason. Yeah, so so clear, and not only that, the the Babbitt is hexachordally combinatorial. <laughs> oh well, look at that. <laughs> I mean, there are many takeaways from this from this uh, the the Mamlock for me, mm. but one one of the biggest ones I think is that you know as long I if you if you kind of ignore the Schoenbergian version of of serialism or or you know what the the decades that came after that this this technique i mean it it just it it is that it's a technique you can make beautiful music with anything yeah so the people that that look at serialism as oh that's that's all like ugly blah you know this is the perfect example of no wait no 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 yeah put a pin in that <laughs> yeah let's come back you listen you listen to this and tell me it's not beautiful mm-hmm. like it it truly is and that's like f- from you know just happenstancing uh, or happenstance that's not yeah we're, we're gonna go with um, that i think <laughs> just pure happenstance <laughs> We're all we're all about uh, grammar here, aren't we? Um, uh, no, just from pure happenstance that I came upon this piece. It was the sheer beauty of it that hooked me. It was the proportion that kept me, and it was the theory behind all of it that made me go like, "Holy shit! This mm-hmm. is just amazing." Yeah. So in that, going back to Andrea's quote, not quote, maybe she said it, maybe she don't, but she did. <laughs> I totally did. She did. The, it, the reality it, is one of my teachers probably said that, so there you go. <laughs> it, it, it's all... It, it, no one, no around, one is ever original, coming around, right? That's, that's right. <laughs> but the, the exterior, you know, if musically, has to be something that's aesthetically pleasing. Mm-hmm. And this this does it for me, mm. and and it, it's it's even more like, uh, kind of out of left field that it did it because it is a solo piece, and I I have a. There are very few solo pieces that I actually enjoy. I have I kind of have a hatred. I have a prejudice for solo pieces. Like you really have to wow me if I'm gonna enjoy it. Mm. So. That being said, I do like your uh, your demi clarinet solo piece, Andrew. Like, oh well, thank you. 
<laughs> well, um, and of course, you probably like it because it's not a solo piece. That piano resonance, boy, that really. <laughs> <it's> just, yeah. <laughs> it really it it it's, does wonders. There's a je ne sais quoi there. <laughs> <laughs> what uh? What recording do we want to use? Can we use? Can we? We can play the whole thing, right? She's dead. <laughs> um. <laughs> um <laughs> I I would you give the I link would, to it. Yes, I think I think we should link to it. I think we should just I think we should just play some fragments, honestly. Um, but if we do fragments, I think we should probably try to play fragments of one of the uh, Spotify recordings if we can, because I think that that performance from was it the second volume of her music? Yeah, the, the, the link the link that you, you sent. Yeah. yeah, that was really great. I really, uh, I've I've listened to other performances. There's a number of performances on YouTube and things like that. But that recording, I think, uh, especially in the grace notes, right? The little mm-hmm. the little notes mm-hmm. are spectacularly executed. And I'm not just meaning they're fast. I mean like the 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 F- <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> Sorry, you know that's I'm too. a jerk. I mean. I mean <laughs> I mean that might be important in a twelve tone or serial piece. Actually, that was something. The sidebar uh, that uh, that Michael Hall, as he was, um, as he was, uh, I think he and Megan were out on stage preparing to do a, a particular piece. Maybe maybe one of Garrett uh, Schumann's pieces. Uh, um, uh, but he was continually fussing over tuning and, and making sure his violin was in tune before each of the pieces. And he said, as he was doing it to the audience, he said, um, you know, I've, I've had people tell me, it's like, why are you worrying about tuning so much? I mean, you're playing new music. And, uh, he's like, no, you need to worry about it more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This has got to yeah, be compelling. And yeah. there's yeah. like more tones to worry about. <laughs> okay. So, Let's uh, let's do a little listening. Uh, we're gonna hear two excerpts, and the first will be it'll be the beginning till we get to about. Not that you guys have a score in front of you, <laughs> but if you did, we're gonna go from measure one to about measure twenty-five, which gets us into we will have revealed the first six pitches of the piece the fir- the first hexachord and then uh our second excerpt will start kind of the beginning of the uh the beginning of the dominant area we're going to we're going to hear that b very prominently leading up to the e which as we've said is like that that section is the big dominant in preparation for the return of a and uh right before we get that big e pitch we'll get the entire row so we'll we'll hear those two uh excerpts now and we're going to listen to a recording that is from the an album called music of ursula mamlock volume two and the performer on this recording is david bolin
so obviously we didn't hear the end of that piece but you know that's on you go listen to it go see how amazing this piece is in its full uh in its full form i mean it's only six minutes it's a it's a beautiful six minute violin solo I, I, those words have never uttered my mouth before this moment. So they haven't uttered it. <laughs> my mouth is shut up. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm you just get thinking, what I was saying. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I'm just giving you crap. <laughs> so, uh, final final thoughts from the panel. It's beautiful. It's worth studying. You could learn a lot. It's gorgeous. Yeah, I think I think uh, worth studying because I think that just layer upon layer that you can keep peeling. It's an onion. It's a it's mm-hmm. a uh, it's a parfait. A sweet onion. Yeah, sweet <laughs> that's, onion. Right, that's right. Something you that enjoy grew eating in with your layers. Garden. <laughs> uh, for me, it just uh, kind of like uh, when we listen to Goodbye Delina. It has opened a new, you know, it's like, I, just like you said, Andrew, I missed her. And now it's like, I, I feel compelled to go back and, and try to, try to listen to everything. Yeah. No, of, no better time to catch up like the present, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you all for another very successful Overdrinks. Yes, how, thank you. How how are you feeling with with that horrible? Uh, well, Andrew, very successful. <laughs> very successful. We've all finished. Andrew, I can't imagine you'll feel good tomorrow with that choice. But, um, you know, well, whatever. you know, I'll I'll live with all the bad choices. It's all great. <laughs> poor life choices, Smith. <laughs> That's what I when I think of Andrew, I think of poor life choices. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones, please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com.